Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari. Thanks for being here. Today is the third part of a four-part series on motivation because it is January. It's that time of year, whether you are actively in the beginning of a New Year's resolution or you're sort of using January as like a planuary and getting ready for the spring new year and hopefully uh, challenging yourself to new things in the new year. Whatever you're doing, I think it's always a good month to talk about motivation and planning. And today we're talking about, I think, one of the more polarizing aspects of motivation and planning and that is the word discipline. In today's episode we're going to talk through the etymology of the word discipline. I love looking into the etymology of things. My favorite thing to do is look into the etymology of pejoratives specifically. I think it is incredibly illuminating. We're also going to talk about tips and tricks that I use to motivate myself and sort of, I alluded to it in a previous episode, but talking about how (laughs) I treat myself like a toddler kind of to sort of trick myself into being motivated. I'm definitely a, uh, I self-identify as someone who struggles with executive dysfunction. It, you know, some people say that habits take 20 days to build. For me, it has always been years to build something that truly feels like habit like it doesn't feel like rolling a boulder uphill to do anything and so you know this is a little more anecdotal evidence this is not not an expert (laughs) at all things motivation but you know for someone who really does truly struggle in some capacities with motivation I have learned some pretty I think effective tricks into to getting myself to do things and so I wanted to sort of walk you through those and hopefully you learned something from this episode so if that sounds good stay tuned and let's dive in so I don't know about you guys but sometimes even still even though discipline has been like a key net positive in my life I still hear the phrase discipline or the word discipline and have what I consider to be a bit of a Pavlovian response to it (laughs) I wince a little I grew up with parents who were very strict, very authoritarian, definitely believed in corporal punishment. And so, you know, discipline for me growing up felt very punitive. And I think a lot of this in some ways is enforced by our culture at large, at least, you know, I'm from the United States. And, you know, the the colonial aspect of the United States was founded with largely Puritan and Puritan cultural beliefs. You know, it shaped a lot of our, our country's sort of creed and how we sort of self-identify. And I believe something I see a lot in our culture is sort of this pervasive idea that like, you know, hard work and discipline and sort of self-sacrifice and denying yourself of pleasure and joy is um, in and of itself its own virtue. And I always, you know, I don't know, I feel like self-discipline and hard work, you know, without like a goal to me just kind of feels, I don't know, I'm not totally bought in on it. But um, regardless, it leaves me with this feeling about discipline as this really harsh, punitive, sometimes nonsensical sort of effort for the sake of effort. And I feel like like our most current iteration of that is like this obsession with like self-help books and like atomic habits and I'm not saying those books are bad I have certainly read my fair share one that I really like that I read in the last year is dopamine nation yeah it's a book called dopamine nation so you know I I too find myself intrigued with like 
you know, why are some people seemingly with little effort can motivate themselves and why it's some people struggle. I'm certainly not about to claim that I know the answers at all. Again, this episode is really largely based around sort of my anecdotal experiences. But like I alluded to in the last couple of episodes, I really think that discipline when not only used for like a greater good, a greater purpose with like a clear direct goal, right? Not discipline and hard work and sacrifice for the sake of discipline and hard work and sacrifice, but discipline to help you achieve goals, to help you, you know, become more actualized, to help your community, whatever it is. Plus discipline that's really motivated by self-love as opposed to shame. I think there's an enormous power in that, you know, and I look at my life, certainly the things that have precipitated the most change, at least things that I can control. Obviously, a lot of things have affected the outcome of my life. Things that largely are out of my control, dumb luck, privilege, a massive combination of both, truly. But when it comes to the things that I can control, yes, hard work and discipline have been absolutely key. (laughs) And I actually think it's that sort of, it is what we can control that gives us such a warped view of discipline. You know, we, it's no question that we are a country that is grounded in individualism and the idea that wherever you end up in society it is entirely by means of your your hard work your intelligence your you know ingenuity or whatever uh and so because of that one of the few things that we can control is our hard work and so so much of what we do gets attributed to hard work and i i think that's unfair and it's definitely worth its own investigation and its own podcast episode But I wanted to sort of untie discipline from (laughs) that mess and ask myself, like, what really is discipline? So, of course, it started with a deep dive into the etymology. And, you know, the word discipline refers to instruction or training. Uh, Discipline, we think of like the disciples in the Bible. You know, they were students of Jesus. Even the word pupil and discipline have the same etymological roots, Um, you know, to be a student, to be a pupil. So discipline really kind of gains its meaning, its initial meaning through teaching and education. And when I think of like a a student or a pupil or, you know, as a parent, a lot of what I'm doing is teaching my children, you know, teaching them about the, the whole world and, you know, how to be focused and how to be motivated you know, again, to the best of my ability, but, um, you know, it reminds me of something that's really shaped how I teach. And that is, there's this book I really love called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paolo Fieri. I apologize if I did not pronounce that last name um, perfectly, but it's a really good book. And it basically like to, to summarize it really briefly, it takes teaching kind of off of its hierarchy that it kind of feels like it is, at least in Western culture, where a teacher is at top of the hierarchy and student is underneath. And I think Paolo uh, Fiore also talks about this idea called banking, where it's this idea that students are these empty vessels and that teachers come in and they, you know, dispense their knowledge and wisdom sort of in this top down kind of approach. Uh, And that's how we learn. (laughs) Um, And he instead sort of puts the focus on the fact that teaching and education and being a student is more circular and that students have stuff they can teach the teacher and the teachers learn from the students and you know that we go from being teacher to student sort of more fluidly than our more rigid hierarchical culture alludes to and I certainly have found this true in my education now granted I teach adults and so I know that there's a privilege there and you know there's a lot of conversation around the role of discipline in school nowadays if I can do a brief side tangent because this is not my area of expertise and I do want to you know give as much 
love, respect, and credit towards teachers as is humanly possible. (laughs) But, you know, I think a lot of kind of the crisis we're having with like students and behavior in class is um, actually has to do with kind of how the word and the idea around discipline is changing. You know, we have a school structure that was largely informed and created and still in some ways kind of revolves around the idea that corporal punishment is part of it, right? This more punitive punishment to deter kids from doing bad things. Um, And as, you know, corporal punishment has been phased out, you know, you're sort of left with like this sort of do as I say, do, you know, respect the class rules or else model, but the or else has been weakened and weakened because culturally we're shifting away from things like corporal punishment or like these more punitive punishment measures. Basically, it feels like teachers' hands are a little bit tied, that the system and the way things run is set up where, you know, the punishment, the discipline is sort of this vestige of the past where it's like you're physically hurt, uh, you're maybe you're socially ostracized in order to guide behavior, which leaves us to this question of like, okay, well, if you can't punish someone like with corporal punishment or, you know, kick them out or ostracize them, like, well, how do you guide, you know, children? Because I think, you know, millennials are largely the parents right now. Obviously there's flexibility within generations, but, and a lot of millennials, um, not again, not all, but are sort of adopting this like, you know, gentle parenting, respectful parenting, or at the very least rejecting the corporal punishment that they were brought up with or the sort of like shame-based kind of verbal abuse that a lot of us grew up with. And what ends up happening is we sort of remove that. Okay, so we're not going to do that. And we don't always know what do we, if we're not being punitive, what does discipline look like? And you know, the way I've interpreted it is that discipline without that sort of more harsh negative punishment is nurturing. It's respect and it's leveraging your future against your current actions. There's this quote that I I really like. It's been largely attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but there's no like, there's no smoking gun of this quote. Like it's, we're not entirely sure, but basically it says discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. And I like this because it's it's less of a fear I'm running from. You know, my parents were sort of this offshoot of a very religious, like IBLP sort of, you know, blanket training, you know, it influenced their, their, their upbringing of us kids. And uh, I was motivated by fear. Like I didn't develop my own, like why do I sit and listen in class? Because I'm terrified that if the teacher says to my parents that I wasn't behaving, that I'm going to become, you know, hurt very badly physically and emotionally. And that was the case, you know, until, you know, whenever I eventually, and I'll explain more about this in a minute, but was at a place in my life where I was like, I want to be motivated for myself. I kind of had to like completely start from scratch at an age that I think was very old <laughs> compared to like with my children. When I talk about discipline, um, you know, don't get me wrong. There are there are guide rails that I have for my kids. You know, I don't have time to explain why you can't run into the road and sit next to you and do gentle parenting explaining of that. Because if you run into the road before I have a chance to do that, like you're going to get physically hurt. So I still think that there is, you know, a place for sort of these more, because I said so, I'm going to prevent you from going into the road because I'm going to make sure you're not in a yard without a fence kind of behaviors. But once a person, a child starts moving into a little more autonomy, I believe that there is skill in constantly checking in with like, what are your goals? What do you want most? And I don't mean goals in the sense of like, I want to be a CEO or I want to have great third quarter, you know, whatever 
goals for a kid is, you know, well, why why are we doing our homework? Like, well, we want we want to learn to read. We're focusing on reading in first grade. Okay, well, um, you know, why do you want to read? Oh, well, you said that you want to, um, you know, make cartoons for a living. That's really important that you know how to read. And it's it's a little bit more, I think, indulging in what do you want, and let that sort of shape your immediate choices now obviously as a parent like a kid doesn't always have the will the structure (laughs) the prefrontal cortex whatever to completely execute that on your own but I find that my job as a parent is frequently sort of reminding my kid of their goals and what they're wanting and why we would push through vegging out and watching tv when you get home from school and be like listen I get why you're tired I get why you want to have a break uh you know maybe allowing putting a timer on for 20 minutes and then and then we shift over to homework. And as much autonomy as you can instill in that decision making and as much reminding that discipline is less do it or else, do it or you'll be punished, you'll be grounded, you'll be, you know, <laughs> hit, whatever. And the focus becoming this hard work, the, you know, sacrificing what you want to do now for the sake of the future is planting the seeds it's 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 nurture it's self-nurture and you know it's a lot of you have to do a lot of reminding and coaxing and limitations as a parent but as your kid gets older eventually you do just like any other skill strengthen that ability to negotiate with yourself and this brings me to kind of my my own anecdotal experiences which will be kind of the rest of this episode we're about at the halfway point and my anecdotal experiences very much stem from me having to coax myself. So a little bit, I won't dive into it too much, but like there was definitely, I grew up with two siblings, an older brother, a younger sister, and there was definitely a narrative around me as the middle kid being sort of like impulsive and lazy. My parents at one point even (laughs) did the marshmallow test on us kids. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I think it was kind of a trend again recently, Um, but it was... But it would, they, they did their own kind of at-home test based off of this real test where they took kids, uh, maybe adults too, but they took people and they had them sit in front of a one marshmallow and they said, if you can not eat this marshmallow, if you can delay gratification in one and a half minutes or two minutes or whatever, um, I will give you two marshmallows. And the people who could delay gratification, I think they like did a follow-up study and they had better like outcomes. They worked harder. They were less likely to be incarcerated. I'll link the study, but it was just, you know, much better life outcomes than the people who could not delay gratification. So my parents, I don't know why, and I don't remember this. They said, they kept saying it to us as kids, but I have no memory of this, but they said that they did it with all three of us. And I was the only one who ate the marshmallow. I couldn't delay gratification. So there was just, you know, how childhood narratives, they kind of become entrenched and there's really not room for update. (laughs) At least it wasn't in my house. And so, um, you know, this leads to, I remember, you know, even I was, I think in between middle school and high school, so I'd been like 13, 14, I wanted to join the cross country team. And my dad was, I think, trying to just discourage me. He was like, no, like we don't have a car. You have to find your own ride. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll find my own ride. And he was like, well, we don't really have the money. You'd have to find your own way to pay for it. And I was like, don't worry. We free and reduced lunch. We get that fee waived. And then finally he kind of brought up, because I remember, I still picture it. Like he was standing over the sink eating a sandwich. <laughs> and, you know, he turned to me and he was like, you never stick with anything. You just, you flop from one thing to the next and you never stick with anything for a week. 
And I think for me, it was like the resolution to be like, I'm going to stick with things <laughs> in addition to the like awareness that I tended to not stick with anything that created this really kind of what I feel like was dramatic interplay of like, you know, willpower and discipline within myself. Plus the fact that like the only reason I had behaved and done well up until this point until again, about 13, 14 years old was everything I had done motivation wise up until this point was pretty much just avoid getting corporal punishment for my parents. Like I was just, I was a good student in school, all motivated by fear. I was, you know, obedient at home, all motivated by fear. So I'd never really developed my own, like, why be good? Why be disciplined? Why do this? Why do that? I just was completely fear motivated. And so I think where a lot of other people develop this and in, they develop it before their memory kicks on or they're like as aware of their internal drama, um, I was very old and trying to figure out how to motivate myself. And because of this, plus the fact that I do truly struggle with executive dysfunction, and I, I do kind of float from thing to thing. I still very much do that. I had to learn how to sort of trick myself. And I did this by kind of convincing myself that I have like, I have a part of me that is aware of my goals, that's smart, that's, you know, with it, that understands the purpose of like sacrifice and delaying gratification. But I also have this part of me that's a toddler, the same part of me that I guess failed the marshmallow test. And instead, I mentioned this in the last episode, instead of like shaming myself into obedience, <laughs> uh, because that's not a great fuel. I've, I have had to white knuckle things in my life. Um, not, a, not a sustainable way of doing it, at least not for me, maybe for some people, but for certainly not for me. Um, I become very resentful and it just doesn't work. So I remember having to develop plans where I would just trick myself into doing stuff. So the first real test of this in my life, because again, I made good grades based on fear. I made, you know, I behaved based on fear. So the first time I ever had to do something completely for myself, <laughs> um, motivation wise, it was running. So again, I joined the cross country team. I bummed rides to practice and I, you know, paid my own fee and got my own running shoes. Um, I remember our, we, our team didn't have very much structure. We didn't have consistent coaches um and you know they'd know you didn't you basically if you didn't want to you didn't have to run very much at all so it was very so I remember the key to distance running you know the nice thing about it is you don't have to be fast you just have to put in a lot of miles and so I would come home from practice and I knew I needed to run another two to three to four miles and so I developed a plan <laughs> and I remember it so perfectly so my plan was and this only works, or at least for me, but I think that this only works if you truly give yourself an out. That is to say, you have to say, okay, do these three tasks. And if by the end you still don't feel like running, you don't have to. And that's not, you can't bluff, right? Your inner toddler might be impulsive, but they're smart. <laughs> just like real toddlers. So my plan was I had a three-tiered approach. I would do these three things. And if by the end of it, I didn't want to run, then I would give myself the day off. And I would just say, you know what? You need the day off. You need the time. Clearly you need to rest. And I wouldn't shame myself and guilt myself. The nice thing about it though, is that these three steps, 90% of the time I was out running. So the first thing I would do is put on my running clothes. So sometimes little things like that are a huge barrier to entry. You want to eliminate as much resistance as possible, right? It's just like if you're dragging a toddler out of a, you know, a house screaming, <laughs> they're like, they don't want to go home. 
you know, they're going to flail and try to grab a door frame or candy. They're going to grab anything they can to keep themselves from being, you know, taken taken out and taken to the car, taken home, whatever, removed from a situation that isn't working for them. Uh, in the same way, our own inner toddler will glom onto anything. It'll grab anything. It'll hold onto anything that can get us distracted and away from doing the thing that we know we need to do, but is difficult. And I will say sometimes that combination of like, I know I need to do it, plus the fact that it's difficult for a lot of us who have executive dysfunction, that is like weirdly a really hard combo. It's like the the more we need to do something weirdly the more resistance we have which is why we have I feel in my personal opinion you have to have a very compassionate and almost humorous approach to it so my first step get in my running clothes most of the time I don't know numbers but the vast majority of the time that was enough right I was just kind of yeah I didn't want to run but I also didn't want to put on a really tight sports bra and like a running shirt and and leggings and my shoes once you get that on you're already there you already have clothes on, you go run. But, you know, let's say this is one of the times where I I put on my clothes and I was like, I still don't feel like it. It is raining outside. I do not want to do this. Then I would find a way to download a song onto my uh, MP3 player, or sometimes it would be just to charge it. It kind of depends. I had this like, it was my my gift, I think for eighth grade, Um, me and my sister both, our whole Christmas or birthmas was basically just getting this mp3 player and it was rinky dink it like broke if you like ran too hard with it it would like skip like a cd player it was just the you know very cheapy little mp3 player um but I would go find a song I want uh not illegally on LimeWire uh and add it to it and usually I was motivated enough by the song that I would that would inspire me too. I love music. I'm very motivated by music. And sometimes that would be enough. If by that point, I still didn't want to run. My last tier, my last line of defense was I had this stack of old running magazines and I would flip through them. And the thing is, motivation kind of feels like a wave, right? You kind of have to, it has to, you have to ride a wave. Now you can't always like control when and where the motivation comes from at least for me I can't I remember when I was a kid I used to get what I would call art attacks and it would be like I would watch like a movie and I would get this overwhelming desire this almost like physical desire to go like draw or or, or color or make something or cut paper or whatever and then I would just like do that and then I would fall off and I remember thinking like oh I should draw more I really enjoy this but if I didn't have that overwhelming feeling of like I want to go do this right now I would never get around to it and so you know motivation as that like wave of sort of inspiration it's really hard to build something with something that level of randomness and infrequency and what I discovered and I still use is you may not be able to control that wave of motivation (laughs) But you can sort of anticipate where to find those waves, right? Just like you can't control the ocean, but you know the spots on the coast that have the best waves. Okay, I don't know. I love a good analogy. Same thing with motivation. Like you maybe can't control that feeling. It kind of hits you randomly. But I also knew that when I would look at these um, running magazines that I would get this overwhelming feeling, even if I had already ran that day. Um, and I would look at these, you know, girls who get, had these great times and, you know, were sponsored by Brooks. And I was like, I want that. I want that so bad. And looking at those magazines, I usually found that, that wave of motivation. But at this point, you know, I would say again, numbers, I don't know, 90%, 95% of the time, by this point I was out running, I'd, I'd finally motivated myself. But in the, 
last percentage that I wasn't motivated. Maybe it was cold. Maybe I was tired. Maybe I'd worked a lot that week and my feet were tired, whatever. At that point, I would consider it a valid reason to not do whatever. And I would say, you know what? My body knows. My body's wise. Maybe maybe I'm not supposed to run today. And that would mean that sometimes I'd go a few days without running. Again, most of the time I was inspired by this point. So you may have to find a combination that works for you. But I honored that. And I always let myself out if by that point I didn't want to run. And I will say it was inspiring enough. It, it motivated me enough. It was effective enough that I went from someone who ran like a 27 minute 5k my freshman year, 25, maybe really, I think it was 27, really not so great 5k to by the time I was in college, I'm like in the 1740s. I will say that, you know, motivation never came easy to me. I I couldn't just be like, okay, I'm going to go run. (laughs) I had to coax it out of myself. But that effort of the nurturing part of myself to find a combination of things that would work for me is helped me to get to some pretty amazing goals. And I'll say like how I use this in my art life is very similar. (laughs) Um, You know, I, it's changes from time to time. I would like to say that now I'm at a point where my painting motivation, you know, because it's my profession, because it's my job, because it's the, you know, I am the sole income that feeds my family, my art business, you know, that there's other, other more mature adult things that are motivating me besides just like pure motivation and desire but at this point I do feel like I have moved into just habit mode (laughs) which some people say a habit takes 21 days I've never found that to be the case for me maybe maybe two to three years but um I would say that eventually you do eventually move into habit but I with with my art it was no different than the running it had to be very overt for a long 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 time and um my strategy it changed. It, I think it, I needed more editing than the running strategy, but it was always something like this. The first step would be just physically go in my studio, bring a book, bring, you know, I'm really kind of careful about having my phone in my studio, you know, maybe turn off the Wi-Fi and just look at your pictures or answer texts, um, but be in your studio. The next step might be do grunt work. <laughs> I call grunt work like any, I don't know if that's a Ozark term or not, but grunt work is just like the like sweeping up your studio, painting edges, um, cleaning something, you know, organizing something, stuff that takes very minimal creative uh, prowess, (laughs) creative skill. It's just like being a janitor in your studio, being a secretary in your studio. Say, you know what, if you don't want to paint today, that's fine. Let's just knock out some admin stuff. And I will say sometimes that's really helpful because when you're, let's say you're procrastinating on a commission, because again, for some reason, the more important it is, sometimes that actually makes it harder. If somebody who understands the brain better can tell me why, please let me know. (laughs) Um, And so that pressure and and that heel dragging actually kind of has its own energy. And I would just use that energy to do a ton of admin stuff. Eventually you run out of admin stuff. And it brings you to my last thing that I would do. And that would be, um, it used to be looking through vitamin P magazines, but basically same kind of thing as the running magazines. I would look at people who were doing what I wanted to eventually do. So I would look at interviews with artists, interviews with teachers, um, you know, whether that's art magazines, whether you have a Pinterest board, whether you have a couple of cutouts or Mac, whatever it looks like, have people who are doing what you want to do somewhere readily available to you looking at those people 
and seeing that, and I don't even know if I would call it, it's not really even envy because it's not like I don't want them to have it or even that I want exactly what they have. It's just like, oh, like I can do that. I, if I work hard, I can do that. I always want to be really careful when I say hard work and next week's episode will address kind of the, the myths, um, around hard work. But in this week, I'm really kind of talking about the, what you, you know, what you can do, what you can do with enough input and power and consistency. And so having pictures of people who are doing stuff that's similar to what you want to do, I find to be, especially when you're in your studio, you have the time, you have the space, you've, you've cleaned up your, your mess. Like you kind of end up at a point where you're like, you know what, I'm here, I'm just going to do it. And I will say to shine a little more light on the fact that like, if by that point you still don't want to do it, honor that. Sometimes if we do all the things, you know, we, we, we've put down all the resistance and we still don't want to do something. I feel like it's, it's pause for maybe doing some deeper investigation on are your needs met? You know, you can't, if you are in survival mode, if you're trying to feed yourself, keep the heat on, um, you know, you're mentally going through a lot, like you may not have the space for that. And that may be your body, your mind way of telling you that you need to focus on other stuff. You know, what does that look like? How do you solve that? Again, we're tiptoeing out of, (laughs) you know, Sari, the artist can give you good advice about that, but I will just say that that's valid. And to give you one kind of anecdote about that, I remember distinctly one time when I had my studio, I basically had a, a baby gate around a wall in my living room was my studio. And I just like wasn't feeling it. And I was really frustrated because I really wanted to paint earlier. And um, I had a really good reference photo. Like I just remember feeling really odd about it, that it wasn't my normal like sometimes you learn the more you learn yourself you kind of can anticipate to some degree like why you're not feeling motivated but nothing about this day made sense I was like I should be painting right now and I just couldn't motivate myself well I laid down (laughs) and I think I was watching Netflix and then I became I had like one of the worst stomach viruses of my entire life (laughs) I was like rolling around on the floor my husband was on a work trip I had like a toddler like like rolling on top of me it was awful I was really 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 sick um and after I felt better a couple days later I looked back and I'm like oh that's why I didn't want to paint I was like really ill so I know this anecdotal and like probably most of the time not everyone has like virus or food poisoning but I just thought it was a way of like it really solidified my view that like our bodies are wise (laughs) and sometimes they know what's up but yeah that's kind of how I view motivation, discipline within my own practice. Hopefully something about that was helpful or insightful. Um, And there's some good takeaways you can have from that. Those are just kind of some stories and some way I reframe discipline to really help me. The last thing I'll say is if you can swap out shame and sort of that white knuckling and that like frustration that you're not motivated enough for creativity and how you approach yourself and certainly compassion and understanding that that doesn't have to be opposite of discipline that actually can go hand in hand and help bolster your own discipline thank you so much for listening guys hopefully you enjoyed today's episode take care i wish you the best and happy creating Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. I wanted to also encourage you guys to leave a review. The feedback is incredibly helpful. And if you leave a review, I will read your handle or your name on the following week's episode. Take care y'all and happy creating.